Amen. Let's take our Bibles out and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're now starting chapter 3 in our walk through this book together here on Sunday mornings. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just going through the first four verses this morning. And if you did not bring a Bible with you, we have Bibles under the seats in front of you, and we would love for you to take one of those out and follow along that way. Of course, you can follow along on your phone as well. And then if you don't have a Bible, or if you know someone that doesn't have a Bible, take one of those that's underneath the seat there and uh, give it to them and let them uh, read the the word of the Lord together with you, and uh, it'll be great. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says the following, And I, brothers was not able to speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to fleshly men, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are still not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we have been talking about in the chapters before this that Paul was, was explaining that there were really two type of people in the world, and that's it. Natural is what he said, and that's people that do not know the Lord yet, those that are not yet saved. And spiritual, those who are saved, who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But now he's explaining there's two types of saved people. Two types of saved people. Oh. Someone's, uh, someone's phone's going there. Anyway, this is a good reminder to silence your phones before the service. All right, anyway. At least we know you listen to great music. Um, two types of saved people. All right, everyone? Mature and immature. Now, in the verse, in the version that I just said, uh, it was fleshly, another version would say carnal, okay? So carnal, fleshly, and when you hear the word carnal and fleshly, you kind of think of things like, hold it, that doesn't sound Christian at all. Actually, it may sound unchristian. Well, a Christian matures by allowing the Spirit to teach him and her and direct them By feeding on God's word, the immature Christian lives for things of the flesh still, though carnal, it means flesh, little interest of things in the spirit. And some believers, and maybe you fit into this category, or maybe you know people who fit in this category, some believers are immature because they've maybe only been saved for a short amount of time, so they really don't know much yet about what uh, God's word says and how to live. But that is not what Paul is really dealing with here. He's he's letting them know the marks of maturity uh, overall. The the diet, let's say, 
that's necessary. I remember vividly being a first-time dad, watching Micah graduate from uh, the milk and, you know, uh, formula, all that type of stuff, to solid food. And let's just say he wasn't good at it at first. We would go to a restaurant, and there was more food. Have you seen this, right? So he's there. He's in a, in a high chair or whatever, and we're at a, uh, our, our favorite thing to do, and I wish they were still around. I, we loved soup plantation because you could just go back and get whatever and go back, especially with kids. You can do it, all this type of stuff. And so we were there at that type of restaurant, and, and Micah had the spread in front of him, and he was just, you know, just, just trying to eat this new experience for him and the smile and the stuff all over his face. And 90% of it was on the ground. You can remember well if you're a parent and if you've gone through that. And as children grow, they, they learn to eat those different food and they get better at actually getting the food in their mouth and actually having it be nutritious. Well, that's really the picture that Paul is presenting here. You see, the Word of God is our spiritual food. And when he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it, he's, he's laying down this, this pattern that we really see in Scripture of, of, of progression of food. First, milk. Well, the Word of God is our spiritual food, and the, the milk that he's talking about there, and actually 1 Peter 2.2 2 talks about it, like newborn babies long for pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So milk, in the picture here, are basic Christian beliefs, doctrines is another word for it, that you would explain for example, in an evangelistic setting to those that do not know God, do not know Christ yet, the basic facts of the gospel, who Jesus is, who God is, who we are in, in respect to him, what sin is and what Christ came to do and how he conquered sin, his death on the cross, atoning for sins, his resurrection, his bodily resurrection from the dead, the need for faith and repentance in Christ, those are all milk things. All the things that you explain to a non-Christian and then you kind of go back over again with someone who just became a Christian. That's the milk. And then another thing Scripture talks about is the bread of life. The bread of life. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what the picture there is, is the word of God. And God allowed Israel to hunger so that he might feed them with manna, teach them to trust him, to provide for them. And that verse really is directly applicable to Jesus' circumstances and fitting reply to Satan's temptation that also happens, every word proceeds from the mouth of God. So a more important source of substance than food, scripture here is the bread of life, nurtures our spiritual needs in, in a way that benefits us eternally rather than merely providing just a temporary relief from physical hunger. 
And so you see in Scripture this milk, this bread, and then in the picture here that, that Paul is sharing with us, this, this milk-to-meat type of scenario. And I thought having stone fire today was a perfect example of meat. Chicken and tri-tip and, oh, it's all good, the meat. And those of you who are vegetarian, we have pasta. (laughs) But Hebrews 5, verse 11, concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, you catch, what did Micah have to do in order to learn how to have that solid food? He had to practice eating it. Don't tell Micah I used him as an example. (laughs) but it's vivid in my mind, and it's hilarious. (laughs) But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. So what's meat? Well, meat is the harder aspects of the Christian life. Ironically, just like the milk, you still have to go back to the cross. There are aspects of this cross-centered life that are meat for us to learn every day to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow Jesus no matter where I live or what the situation is, that's meat. And it's hard to do. So that would be the example, how the cross, as it preaches self-denial, self-sacrifice at every moment, and what that practically, how that works out, that's the example of meat. But that's not the only meat that I would think of. I also think of doctrines, beliefs that are hard for immature Christians to accept, biblically correct, though. They run contrary to what our world says as normal ways of thinking. And it takes a while when you become a Christian to process the truth of that. For example, God's sovereignty, God's salvation and how that works, the aspects of that, how God knows by name who is going to be saved before they're born. People have a hard time with that. That doesn't make sense. God's sovereign activity, his providence, how he controls, as it says in Scripture, even the sparrows. How he knows even the the hairs on your head, for most of us. And yet there's all this evil in the world. It's hard to understand. You have higher levels of a word called theology, these doctrines, these, these knowledge of God's ways. You know, the author of Hebrews uses uh, an illustration. 
here that we read just a second ago, he's like, hey, I'm going to teach you stuff in just the next few verses, next few chapters, but you still need milk. Because, you see, he's getting them ready. He wants to tell them about Melchizedek. And some of you who've been through the book of Hebrews with us go, oh, I remember that. And some of you who have not go, who's that dude? Well, this is not a sermon on Hebrews 7, but Melchizedek's an image, a type of Christ in the Old Testament, and it's this higher level of theology and illustration at some point that you need to know, actually, as a Christian, because once again, you need to understand if it's in God's Word, there's a reason we need to know it. You don't just skip over it, because if you skip over it, you're falling prey to what Paul is talking about. You're just drinking the milk and you're not growing. Don't skip over stuff. Stop. Study. Email us. Call. Text. Whatever. And we'll point you in the direction so you can understand some of these things. But, as the writer of Hebrews says, you're not ready yet. So do you guys see this difference between milk and meat? Meat is the harder aspects of that Christian belief system and theology, and it takes a while to absorb. I am 54 years old and have been a believer now for a while, and I will tell you that I'm learning every single day. doesn't stop the more meat of God's word you eat the more realize you realize that you don't know it takes spiritual teeth to chew on that stuff to reason it through to come to peace with it and Paul's saying to the church here in Corinth hey you before when I first was talking to you, 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 you weren't able to chew on this meat, and now you're still not able to. And so he's saying, hey, you should have grown up a little bit by now. But he says in verse 3 there, you're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you're, you're acting like mere men. And Paul's saying that you're acting this carnal way, this fleshly way. This, you're acting the same way that people that are not Christians are acting in some ways. You're converted, but you're acting unconverted. So we have milk, and we have the bread of life, we have the meat, and then you have honey that Scripture talks about. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's the point where you're like, you know, I'm loving God's word. I am loving every second of this. And that needs to be our attitude. That needs to be the attitude of the righteous person because the Lord himself is instructing his followers Repeat that Psalm 103 verse again. How sweet is your word to my taste. 
It's like, thank you, Jesus, for teaching me. Thank you for teaching me. It is sweeter than the honey to my mouth. So it's important to determine our spiritual maturity or immaturity. It's important to know what type of diet are we on. The immature believer knows little about actually the present ministry of Christ because they're having a hard time walking through what the church is supposed to be like in the midst of the culture they're in. They get some of the basics but have no idea how to run the race. So it's important that we we preach the gospel to the lost, but it's also important that we interpret the gospel to the saved. The entire New Testament is an interpretation and then the application of the gospel. Paul did not write Romans, for example, to tell the Romans how to be saved. They were already saints. He wrote to explain to them how to really be involved in their salvation. It was an explanation of the deep things of God and how to apply it to the everyday life. And as we see in this section of Scripture, there's really another way to determine maturity as well. Go back with me to verse 4. It's interesting, you know, for one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. And, and aren't they just mere men? The mature Christian practices love and seeks to get along with other believers. An immature child tends to do what? Disagree and fuss. Children also like to identify with heroes, whether it's sports heroes or, or you know, name it. And that's actually what they were kind of doing. They were fighting over which preacher they were following and was the greatest. Well, I'm, I'm a Paul guy. I am all about Paul. Well, I'm a Peter guy. Paul, he was the chief of all sinners. Peter, he's like a solid dude fisherman that cut off ears. Man, I am Peter guy. Well, I'm a Paulist guy because, you know, he was a good teacher. And it sounds like children on a playground when you actually play it out. You know, my father can beat your father. My father makes more money than your father. Well, my mom makes more money than your dad, so... There's a splash zone here, so just be careful. <laughs> when immature Christians without spiritual discernment get into places of leadership into churches, the result is disastrous. Someone that acts like that then gets put into the leadership position of name whatever it is, it goes sideways quick. 
Now, the work of the local pastor and the local leadership of a church is to help the church grow spiritually, mature in the Lord, and that's done. There's only one way, everyone, by steady, balanced ministry of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 explains how it's done. It's necessary for every member of God's body, the church, to make a contribution to the church. And God gives spiritual gifts to his people. And then these gifts, these gifted people, build up the saints in the church. But these gifted people use the gifts correctly because they're growing and eating the meat of God's word. And that's what builds the church and Paul says more about that, and we're going to look at that in the study on Sunday mornings a little bit later. But this should be said for now. A mature Christian uses his or her gifts as, as tools to build. To build. An immature believer uses the gifts as toys and plays with it. It's kind of like, woohoo, I got my participation trophy. Many, many, many of the members of this church apparently enjoyed showing off their gifts, not interested in serving one another and edifying the church with their gifts. You see the difference? And that's what ministry is all about. Loving, feeding, discipling God's family so that his children mature in the faith and become more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more he is lifted up and that light shines brighter in our community and people go, oh, those people care. So how do I know if I'm a mature Christian or not? Well, I'm going to tell you an answer that is kind of funny, but if you've been here on Thursday nights, you already know the answer. First John is the answer to this question of do I know if I'm mature or not? That's what that book is all about. Is the Holy Spirit in your life or not? That's the question we have to ask. Does the Holy Spirit testify with your heart that you're a child of God? Is the Spirit active in your life in these ways? In what ways? Well, 1 John 3, 9, whoever is born of God does not sin. Oh, brother. It's not teaching sinless perfection but you can walk in the light and you still need cleansing from the blood of Jesus. That's right. That's not about being perfect, but what it means is your relationship with sin has radically changed once you become a Christian. Now that you're genuinely Christian, you hate sin. It's the greatest grief in your life. You don't sin willingly. You sin bitterly and reluctantly. You're not comfortable with sin and you are not comfortable being the enemy of Christ. Not at all. The moment that you sin, just, just moments after you go, oh, this is awful. 
You grieve over it. And we know that because it says that the Spirit grieves. And if the Spirit is in you and grieving, guess what you're going to know? Grief over sin. And if that's happening to you, you need to take a look and go, maybe I'm not right with God. Maybe I haven't actually placed him in the center of my life. But as a believer, you hate sin. You hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, which is the exact opposite. You, you will not always achieve it. But it's what you want. Another thing that you're going to know and need to know is 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. This is a Christ-centered faith. I'm going to warn you right now. If you, catch, if you catch yourself saying, well, these other faiths lead to God too, that is wrong. It is not true, and you are teaching heresy. If you say this other church, not church, but other belief, also leads to God, and I understand, let's say you've got family that, that are from a Muslim background, well, they, they'll get there through that faith. The, the Bible's very clear that they won't. And if you are teaching that, you are an immature Christian, if a Christian at all. Because Jesus says what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Now, that's a hard truth, isn't it? When you have a bunch of people around you that don't believe that, but still believe they're going to be in heaven. And that's where you have to go from milk to meat and understand what the Bible actually says about other beliefs. But you will understand that Christ is your only hope. Christ is the only hope of the world. Anyone who believes that is born of God. Third thing. 1 John 2.29 says, everyone that does righteousness is born of God. What does that mean? It means obeying God's laws, his moral law. And if you're born again, you, you have taken on and you have brought into yourself the moral law of God. And you are supposed to delight in it, not just say you're part of it. You want all of it. You want to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And you want to love your neighbors as God has loved you in all of the different areas of life. And whatever the word of God teaches, you are healthy, righteously living it out. That's what you want. You delight in God's law. You're constantly seeking to obey God's law, do righteous acts, and live by his law. That's one of the ways we know we're growing. Another one is this. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. 
brothers and sisters in Christ is what it's referring to. You love other Christians. You enjoy other Christians. If you're here today and you're like, I don't really enjoy these people. You need to give that over to God. There's reasons why it says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Satan loved every second of COVID. Getting people not to be together. It's just not the same on video. It's just, it's just not. I mean, sometimes I get you got to do it because you can't get out, you're sick. All of that, it's better to have something than nothing, right? But if you are able, it's way better eyeball to eyeball, hug to hug. And that's why, you know, Hebrews 10 is, is saying you, you, need to, you need to come to church. You need, to, you need to come to Bible study. You need, you, need to, you need to be around other believers. You need to be involved. You need to speak into other people's lives. And it's not, when you're mature, it moves from, well, I've got to do that, to I love to do that. You love it. Even if they irritate you. You're delighted when other brothers and sisters are doing well, when they're growing. When you hear that someone becomes a Christian, you do the happy dance. Psalm 16.3 says that the faithful ones in the land, they're the glorious ones and whom is all your delight. They're just awesome to be around. You just love other Christians. And when the church of Jesus Christ is mature, it is amazing what happens in that local body of believers. Doesn't mean it's going to be 7,000 people. But it means it's a growing group of people that are serving the Lord and seeing Him work in their midst. And it's awesome to be a part of. And so, as we launch into these four verses this week is our Christian community mature are you mature in Christ well I, I would say you know I've been privileged to be at, at many different churches over my life and I will say, I love this church. 
and it's not because of the building. You can blow it up. doesn't matter. It's the people. It's the people. And we have people here that are growing and longing to serve the Lord, grow up in Him, and see other people grow. And they get so excited when they see other people grow, not just themselves. That, that is then a church that Paul can teach the meaty stuff to. That God can teach the meaty stuff to the church that's all about Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time together today. I thank you for every single person here. Lord, I don't know where everyone stands in this and in those application points of where, where they're at. But Lord, may they be growing in you. May they be joining together, doing life together, studying the word, your word together, using the gifts that you have given them to build your church and to become a brighter and brighter light to this community that oh so desperately needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be the people that are inviting people to be here, to join, to join your family, to be saved, to grow up, no matter how old they are, grow up to be like you. So Lord, I pray that we become that type of person in that type of church more and more every single day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.